The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. I invite you to open your Bibles to the final chapter of Proverbs, the Proverbs 31. And we're looking at the first nine verses of Proverbs 31 this afternoon. Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9. Let's give our attention to God Himself as He speaks to us in His Word. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and pervert the rights of of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to the one or to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute or sons of passing away. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor. And this concludes the reading of God's Word. May He be pleased to add His blessing to it. Well, what would you do if you could be king for a day? Or even become king? Keep in mind, being a king is not the same as the American form of government, which intentionally divides powers. King has great power to pretty much do anything. So what would you do if you could become king? Well, I actually looked this question up online to see what some of the responses would be. Here's what I found. This is not going to be triggering at all for us Americans. Someone from the United Kingdom. I'd call a holiday and throw a kegger and have the French and Americans serve everything to us as well. And have them clean up. Now, if that doesn't offend you, wait until you hear this. I would ban any kind of hunting. I would legislate vegan meals in all schools and institutions. A person would probably not become king in Wyoming. Another response. As the queen of the nation, I would have the right to point at something that I'd find unacceptable and say, nonsense. Everyone involved in the nonsense would be banished. Again, it makes me thankful for our form of government. These tolerant people are not very tolerant when it comes to certain things. Another person, sleep late, have fresh cream for breakfast. It must be a European thing. I just lost my... Oh, there we go. Uh, Sleep late, have fresh cream for breakfast, play with all the children, go horseback riding, listen to music, have a long nap, have tea with the children, eat extra fresh cream with strawberries, watch TV. And then 
this one was a bit interesting to me. It sounds like something a five-year-old would say, but it was an adult. I would try on all the different crowns and have my pictures taken. That's what I would do with if I had power. And while these, you know, while there are some good responses, you know, I'd care about this, that cause, or that cause, most of them were self-indulgent. And maybe these would not be the exact responses that we would give. Perhaps we would do something like, I would want to have a Chick-fil-A in every city, of my kingdom or have a nice garden. Nevertheless, our desires tend to right away go towards self-indulgence. If I had power, I would be able to do my will. Our desires could take the focus rather than God's desires. But here we have an actual king, Lemuel, who received instruction from his mother. And his mother's instruction is, do not focus on your desires, but on what is right. In fact, this instruction lines up well with Micah 6.8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If this is to be the king's focus, according to God's word, then this should be our focus because this is what is pleasing to the King of Kings, who is our King. And so we're going to look at three desires of our King that should be our focus. First, walking humbly. Second, loving kindness. And third, doing justice. So first, walking humbly. Verse 1 again. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, like Agur, uh, we do not know who Lemuel is. He's likely not even an Israelite king. I think this reveals to us that there is a natural wisdom that is common to all men. Uh, unbelievers understand consequences and doing things that are most prudent involves things that are most beneficial and avoid the greatest amount of negative consequences. Also, since the, even though man has fallen, since we are still made in the image of God, man still has a concept of justice and kindness, even though it's very marred. Ultimate wisdom, however, is that which acknowledges God, which stands in awe of Him, living for His glory. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit has taken this section and has placed it into Scripture for our instruction even though we don't know the exact means of how it made it into the Bible. But what we learn here is humility. Uh, Lemuel is a king. The highest position authority. The most highly regarded person in his kingdom. In fact, back then, in the ancient Near East, kings were seen as gods. They were seen as having the wisdom of the gods. And what does this king do? He says, here's what my mother taught me. And acknowledges that he has learned from others. From his own mother. This reveals a level of humility. As we have been seen in Proverbs, 
wisdom is to receive teaching and instruction. Not thinking you know it all. And not to reject counsel and teach it from others. And be wise in your own eyes. And we also see here the importance of mothers. You know, oftentimes that the next section on the excellent wife is used as a Mother's Day sermon. Not that I believe in doing a sermon based on whatever holiday is going on. But if that's going to be done, I don't know why this section wouldn't be chosen. Because this is a mother's good instructions to her son. We see the value and importance of a mother's instruction here. And we also see the importance in other places of Scripture. Both Proverbs 1.8 and 6.20 say, Forsake not your mother's teaching. And 2 Timothy 1. Timothy, a pastor we learned, learned the faith from his mother, Eunice and his grandmother Lois. We see God uses mothers to shape leaders, kings, and pastors. And so mothers in here should see to it that the instruction you give is that of kindness and wisdom, especially in teaching the Christian faith. And what does Lemuel's mother say to him? Well, verse 2, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son, of my vows? It's what you would expect from a mother who's concerned about her son. Now, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say, what are you doing? But it says, what? And basically, what this is, is she's trying to get her son's attention. And it seems to be in the context of a rebuke to her son. Uh, Perhaps when he was young, when boys tend to be foolish and carefree, But being that he is going to be king someday, likely because he's the heir apparent in their family, or that he is already king, she wants him to really take her instruction seriously. But in her rebuke, she uses several terms of endearment. My son. Son of my womb. I carried you in my womb. You came out of me. And she also refers to him as the son of her vows. She says, I made vows about you. I made a covenant concerning you. Likely, these are vows to raise him and teach him what is right and to prepare him for life. This is similar to Hannah's vows when she made a commitment to God that she would dedicate her son to the Lord. And so Lemuel's mother has taken these vows seriously and is wanting him to take her instruction seriously. And what we see here is a mother who cares. And mothers, as you give instruction to your children, they should know that you care for them. Yes, a mother comes in and says, what are you doing? And a mother has every right rebuke for children. But it should be done in a way that your children know you do care for them. And that you love them. They are your children. Children of your womb. And children and young ones in here know 
that you must take your mother's godly instruction seriously. Lemuel's mother's instruction involves not giving himself to women and wine. Basically, to sum up her instruction, don't live for the indulgences of the flesh. Don't be self-centered. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Now, she is not calling for complete celibacy or forbidding marriage that would go contrary to Scripture, especially the very next section. Rather, what she is talking about is living for women and wine. Living for the destructive lust of the flesh. Living in the pleasures of the flesh because you're a king. You have this power. You can do what you want. But she says, don't live for yourself. When she says, do not give your strength to, she's talking about focusing one's power, drive, and devotion to live for something. And notice, women is plural. She is saying, don't live in this sinful way. Living for women and accumulating many wives and concubines. Living in sexual immorality like Solomon did. We saw how that turned out for him. It was his downfall. Hence the parallel in verse 3 to those who destroy kings. This is talking about living for the pleasures of the flesh. Living in sin. Things that we see associated with vices today. And not only women, but also wine. Verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. So Lemuel's mother's not calling here for abstinence. Rather, this is the same sense as in verse 3 regarding women. Lemuel's mother is saying, don't give your strength to wine. Don't live for this. Don't devote your life to living in that kind of luxury, which kings are able to do. This kind of lifestyle will cause him to, to fail in his duties. That's why she's giving this these instructions. Verse 5, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. What she is saying here is tantamount to what we would say today when we say, don't drink on the job. The king is often on the job, not just Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And if the king is given to drinking and living in luxury, his clarity of mind to judge righteously in accordance with the law is going to be hindered. This is why we would oppose a judge or a police officer to drink on the job even though they would even if they weren't getting drunk. And why qualification for elders is not do not be enslaved to much wine. So Lemuel's mother is telling her son to not focus on living in luxury for himself. When you become king, don't live for yourself. Do justice for others. And don't waste your life in the lusts of the flesh. And the king seems to have humbly taken this advice. Given that he called these words of his, his mother's words, he adopted them as his own. And therefore lived by them. He took counsel. A second desire of the Lord that should be our focus is 
loving kindness or to love kindness. Look at verses 6 through 7. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So the Bible calls for strong drink. Now this is more likely, this strong drink is more likely kind of a strong malt. It would be tantamount to our beer today. And wine to be given to those who are perishing and in bitter distress. That is, give these things to those who are dying, those on their deathbed, going through an exceptionally hard time. Now this sounds plain wrong to us, doesn't it? And yet we find it in the Bible, so we can't argue against the Bible, but we do need to try to understand what this means. What are we to make of this? Well, based on the fact that Scripture never contradicts itself, we know that this is not calling for drunkenness, because Scripture forbids that. Neither is this calling for making alcohol into an idol. Scripture will never call us into any sin. What this is saying is that instead of you, king, who lives in comfort and luxury, who has a very important task and job that you are to take seriously, instead of you giving yourself to these things, take these luxurious gifts that you have, that your king would have the best of wine, and give it to the one who's perishing. Give comfort to him. Remember that 3,000 years ago, they did not have morphine or other drugs to make people comfortable as they were dying. This is what they had. Also, he is called to give wine to those who can use joy in their distress. After all, Psalm 104.15 says that God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. While we are to not while we are not to turn alcohol into an idol or overindulge in any creational gift, yet we can enjoy it to the glory of God. And this, I think, sounds even stranger to us because alcohol is a huge idol in America. I still remember years ago going over. Uh, a short-term missions trip uh, to the southern part of Spain. And during the lunch hour at the hotel we were staying at, they had a, a bar, and there was a police officer in full uniform just drinking a beer. And that just blew me away. It's like, what? Is this guy not getting fired? Well, that's because they didn't, they don't idolize it to the degree that we do, and they can just do that. And, um, not make a big deal out of it. We tend to use it as an idol. But here Scripture is saying, for those who are dying, they're on their deathbed, comfort them with, with this creational gift. Those who are in bitter distress, give them some joy and comfort, O King. Make them forget their poverty, as if they were not in poverty, that they can enjoy your best wine from your storehouse. They are the ones who need it over you, rather than living for further comfort and self-indulgence. Give your best creational gift to those who are in distress. Care 
for them. Show them kindness and mercy. The third and final desire of the Lord that should be our focus is doing justice. Look at verses 8-9. through Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now this is, ex- this is spoken especially to kings. He has the ability and power to do justice. And so opening his mouth refers to him making a judgment. Uh, this is not a call for us to raise our voices and be noisy in the streets and to protest and to contradict 1 Thessalonians 4, which says lead a quiet life. In fact, make it your life goal. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Even though uh, there are times where we do speak when it's in our power to do so, when it's wise, yet this context is the call for the king to do justice. And so when he opens his mouth in making an official judgment, it should be a righteous judgment. It should be a judgment where he does so for the mute, for those who cannot defend themselves, for those who do not have a voice. He should do so for the destitute, uh, literally sons of passing away, those who are dying. He should do so for the poor and needy. These are all people that society does not really benefit from. The one who cannot speak, the one who's about to die, what use is that person to society anymore? The poor and the needy? In other words, he is to do for those who do not have the power to repute to do for themselves. He is to judge righteously, not impartiality. There is no return for him to do right to them. There's no gain or benefit earthly, in the earthly sense, other than this is simply what is right in the sight of the Lord. He is to recognize what is right in the sight of the judge of all the earth and act accordingly. Now, how does this apply to us? Now, we are to care about what is right and not show partiality. We are to have integrity in our dealings with all people. In our businesses, not taking advantage of the less fortunate because we can, but rather doing what is right to them before God. We are to do what is right even when it does not benefit us. We are to not show partiality or favor because of who somebody is. We are to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. We are to help the weak. We are to help the suffering. We are to do right to the one who is suffering and not show any partiality. And may we remember how the judge of all the earth has dealt with us. He opened His mouth for us poor and needy sinners. We who were mute because our mouths had been shut by the law. But He opened His mouth for us by keeping His mouth shut when He stood in our place for judgment. And it's because it's His blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
rather than His blood crying out for justice against us, like Abel's, His blood cries out for mercy and forgiveness for us. But He opens His mouth for us now by interceding for us before God's throne. As 1 John 2 says, if any of us sins, does it say we have condemnation that we need to try to make up for before God? No, it says we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. When we sin, He opens His mouth, not in condemnation against us, but in defense for us. And He doesn't make some lame, sorry excuse uh, like a creepy lawyer would. Uh, Rather, He shows His nail-pierced hands, His nail-pierced feet, His spear-pierced side, and says, shows it to the Father and says, Father, I paid for that sin. And so we do not need to open our mouths in order to justify or defend ourselves, demanding that others recognize our goodness in order to make sure that our righteousness is established to feel good about ourselves. What greater plea could we possibly come up with than the blood of Christ? He is our strong and perfect plea before the throne of God above. Rather, we open our mouths in humbly confessing our sins and acknowledging our sin to God and to others whom we have sinned against. Rather than brushing it under the rug, pretending like it never happened and let's just move on. But this is only possible when we trust that Christ really has brought full atonement, forgiveness, and justification for all our sins. And then we open our mouths wide in singing His praises for all His rich mercies with which He has eternally lavished on us. And in gratitude for these mercies, we seek to walk humbly before Him, having a teachable spirit, loving kindness, considering how we may serve and bless others rather than multiply our desires, and doing justly, walking with integrity, doing what is right, not showing partiality, and pleasing the judge of all the earth because He is pleased with us because He judged His Son in our place. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would help us to do these things, to have humility, true humility, to love kindness and mercy, and to do what is right, even when it's not beneficial for us, to not show partiality or favor to men, to walk in Your truth and honestly before You. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.